Please turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. We revisited chapter 6. And the emphasis before we go to chapter 7 is that, in case anyone is confused about that, after stating how all those who have fully experienced or definitely experienced salvation and fall away, they cannot be recovered. Not talking about uh, just backsliding for the moment, even though that's potentially fatal, spiritually speaking, deadly, and will produce death. Any withdrawing from God is to withdraw from light and to be in darkness to withdraw from life and to be in death. But this falling away is speaking of the apostasy. Being in salvation and then being out of it altogether. In that case, according to the scriptures, those who have fallen away, that's the original Greek, some of you may know, it's not if they shall fall away, it's having fallen away it's impossible to renew them again. Two, repentance is a very dreadful thing. But then he says that we have better things that we believe about you folks, you people, Hebrew Christians. Even though the two verses before that, following the impossibility of renewing someone who has gone into apostasy. Verses 7 and 8 of Hebrews 6, it's written, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated. You think about a garden, maybe a garden in your backyard, or the larger crops that the farmer plants and harvests. Either way, there's a purpose. There ought to be some fruit from it. That land is blessed from God, blessed by God. The land, of course, is not a human being. It's inanimate. It's a thing. But it's speaking about the human heart, the human life. If God gives rain, He expects there to be uh, result, herbs, fruit, then there's a blessing. Jesus said, to him who has, more shall be given. To the one that doesn't have, even that which he seems to have will be taken away. So everything God gives us, we ought to say, Lord, you've given me a vehicle, a car, an automobile. Have I ever thought, is it for me to take a joy ride or for convenience? God gives it as a blessing, but how can I glorify my God with the vehicle? Some people, they may put stickers on it, praise the Lord, and maybe have a Bible or have a cross or play worship music. All those with a good heart can be uh, honoring to the Lord. But 
how can I use the vehicle to further the kingdom of God rather than surround myself with a good spiritual mobile home, so to speak, when I go from point A to point B? I can go to church with the vehicle. My thrill for the week to worship the living God, provided it's a place where God really is being worshipped. I can use it to help my family. I can use the vehicle to help others get to church, protecting my own soul first and foremost, not picking up anyone and everyone who says I want to go to church. It may be a snare from the devil. But thinking how to glorify God with what he's given me, this land that has been cultivated and given the rain that man cannot give, it comes from God. God expects a return, and in return for that return, quote-unquote, he blesses more. That's the nature of our Heavenly Father. If he's given us two pennies, he wants to know how we will use it to honor him, not necessarily to take the two pennies, go straight to give it as an offering, but even in using it as God has given us all resources, with the use of it to thank God sincerely, knowing that it didn't come out of nowhere, it came from God. To have that humility and that expectation ourselves. God has given me something and he has given me his favor on top of that in his word that if I should open this mouth that he's given me to speak of his great name there will be a harvest. Hallelujah. It takes faith and it takes putting off sluggishness and carnal fear. I believe all of us, maybe most of us, if not all of us, the first time we prayed in public or read the word in public or shared a testimony in public may have been a very challenging experience. And the greater the focus or the greater the glory of God and the person of God that comes into focus to our spiritual eyes, things of this world become strangely dim in the brightness of His glory and the boldness comes with that understanding. As we heard the prayer where two or three are gathered in His name, God said He's in the midst of us. But also, for the one walks uprightly, God is right there with that person. And we are forever representing the Lord, whether we go to the supermarket, or the school, or to the job, or work around the home, pick up the phone. The moment a person becomes born again, the person is automatically 
drafted into God's army, a brand new inductee, if you will, into the heavenly armed forces. You become a soldier. It requires training to be fit to engage in combat, spiritually speaking. Also, the moment a person gets born again, the person becomes an ambassador. They've been given that commission by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. With what God has given us, He expects the return. The word here in Hebrews, as we say now and then regarding scriptures, the historical context is not the only thing. It's just the starting point. The end goal of reading the scriptures and even these two verses in Hebrews 6, 7, and 8. Chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Is to see what God is saying to me. Am I a ground that after the Lord has blessed me, do I have regrets? I do, myself. Perhaps you have regrets. Most likely you do. As we reflect, more thoroughly than ever, of all that my Father has done for me, what should I have become and have done for the kingdom of God? If an individual somewhere across the world has half a page of the Bible, and with half a page of the Bible, they are so fruitful, so bold in witnessing for the Lord and genuinely love the Lord and treasure that word and I have so many Bibles. Do I have a corresponding return to the amount that God has invested in me and done for me? So we have regrets, but God being such a wonderful Father, the best Father, He doesn't dwell on the regret. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Aren't you glad God is God? There's no other God. The living God. He sees it and he wants us to know how bad it is because unless we know how bad something is, we won't go for the solution, at least not wholeheartedly, nor get the situation remedied to the degree required. But once we have a genuine regret and penitence and remorse, go on from there and say, I've borne thorns with all that the Lord did for me. What did I do? I went and drank, not me personally, but some can say that. I got intoxicated. I can certainly say if I haven't ever tasted wine, which I have not. But there's an equal dangerous intoxication with the world, the world's persuasion of what defines success and acceptance 
all these dangerously intoxicating elements of hell to devalue us from the original grand plan and purpose of God, the value that he gives us. Made in his image, not to be corrupted, but to glorify God. The regrets can be there. But the Lord says, I'm not looking for you to dwell on it. I want you to take a good look at it so that it never happens again. But come, let's go. I will make you fruitful. Hallelujah. 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 I will make you fruitful. You will multiply. Spiritually, you are my soldier and ambassador. I need someone to remind me of this. You need someone to remind you of this. The Apostle Peter says, even though you know these things, you need to be stirred up by way of remembrance, remembrance to know, to keep focused, because we can get off focus rather quickly. If we're not careful, that's one of the major themes of the book of Hebrews. To hold fast, to keep focus, keep your eyes on the prize. Don't let anything hinder your race toward heaven by the grace of God. Throw off all the weights. Go for the gold because God has the eternal imperishable crown for me and for you. Having said this, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit through the writer is God is not unjust to forget the good things you did. Your labor of love, which you have shown toward who? Some random charity or some work of man? The focus is, I'm doing it for the Lord. The Hebrew Christians were active. They were quite active in the right way. They were focused on the Lord and doing things in His name for His glory by ministering to the saints. And, notice, do minister. So, present tense, as well as the past tense. That's why the encouragement is given. After the dreadful warning about apostasy, the lack of fruitfulness or fruitlessness and the corresponding burning of that ground, curse of that ground, rejection of that ground that bears thorns and briars. Anyone who continually brings forth bad fruit, cursing, vengeful thoughts, never shook it off, like a person that says, you know, I used to drink hard liquor every day. Now it's down to once every three days. It could be that though the reduction may appear drastic to that individual, justifying an occasional drink here and there, one drink may mean the end of that person. Who knows? It may be the very drink, the occasional drink, that could tip the scales and bring the person to perdition and doom. Hence the caution not to have anything to do with sin. 
whatsoever. These people didn't have anything to do with sin, really. This group here, at least, because they were doing well, and the Holy Spirit saw fit to come to a people who were ministering and were did minister and were ministering in the name of the Lord in an acceptable way, because it's recorded about them. Wouldn't you like to have that recorded about you? God knows. Your labor of love. Not because I said it or someone else said it. God coming and saying, I've watched you. Your motives are pure. You extend your stuff and your resources to help others without even looking for thank you. That's agape love. Unselfish benevolence. And that's why the encouragement comes to say, you're running well. Now, to the Galatians, he says, who did hinder you? What kind of witchcraft hindered you? In this case, he says, you're running well. Now, I want to help you to run even better. Verse 11, and we desire that each of you show the same diligence. I have a part to play. I've got to put my hand to the plow and not look back. I have to do it. God won't put his hand to the plow and say, you're plowing. He gives the plow, he gives the hand, he gives the willingness, now I have to do it. And the encouragement from the Holy Spirit is, do it. Show the same diligence. The way you were, continue and go better. One step better. That's what we'll see coming up in Hebrews chapter 12. Maybe a few more things to throw off that is hindering you. Maybe it's time. Maybe these are some pending things. Other things have gone, praise God. But there's still some ankle weights there that are slowing you down. Some wrist weights there. God says, throw it all away. In your quest for heaven, eternal life, and to please God, don't keep even an ounce of that which belongs to the old life. Let it go. So you can run to the full assurance of hope until the end. Only those who show diligence can have the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become, don't change on me now. God says, don't become sluggish. If you are diligent, keep being diligent. Continue, there will be a growth in holiness, in perseverance, in faith, the very loyalty to the living God, love. Don't become sluggish. What is this word sluggish? Quite simply, it's laziness. Rather, imitate those who through faith and patience actually lay hold and receive the promises, inherit the promises. And it speaks about the faithfulness of God. Now, going to chapter 7, we see a description of 
the Levitical priesthood and the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ after the order of Melchizedek who simply appeared to the patriarch when he came from rescuing his nephew Lot and the kings that he was associated with. This Melchizedek is a priest forever and he's a type of Christ. That's what's described here. Like Melchizedek, so Christ is. Some people say it may have been the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus appearance before he came to the world as a or came into the world and assumed humanity became a human being but here it's speaking of a comparison and it's speaking about how the former commandment the former covenant and the theme that goes on for a few chapters including the tabernacle and the furniture there and the vessels and the uh, rituals that were performed, the incense and the showbread, the light, all those things, saying that all of that is a, a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's the perfect one, who gave the perfect sacrifice because the other sacrifices could not permanently take away the sins. Temporarily they covered it. And if people followed God's regulations by faith and did that and they kept their hearts clean then they were saved under the Old Testament prescription for God's people to be in a right relationship with them. But it could not take sins away permanently and that's why Jesus came. This Jesus comes not only to take away the penalty of sin. All of a sudden, a man on death row is set free because someone else is willing to take his place. The penalty is gone. All of a sudden, I'm free. Feeling the wrists where the shackles were, the handcuffs. And amazed, I no longer have them because someone else is dying in my place. But also, this Christ breaks the power of criminal behavior. Hallelujah. He breaks the desire for unlawful activities. Who can do that but the Lamb of God? who is also the almighty Alpha and Omega. If this is the inheritance we have, how carefully we ought to treasure it, make sure with everything God has done, with such an abundance of rain from heaven, what a shame and what a greater judgment to sin against God after this. After 
the death of the Lord God himself on the cross for my sins, what would be left if a person still likes to backslide and try to come back and backslide and try to come back? There will be a cutoff point in which the person will apostatize. That's the fearful warning, a very real warning, for these very good people, truly, people who had faith and love and ministered to the saints in God's name with pure motives. The Spirit of God is telling such people, be careful now because the potential is there that if you become sluggish, stop meeting with each other, stop encouraging one another, looking forward to the day of Jesus' return, you could slip back by and by, even to the point of no return. It's a very clear teaching in the book of Hebrews, as elsewhere in the Word of God. At the same time, a person can rightfully say, I love the Lord so much, I will never leave him. God knows it. There are people who can say that of a truth, and God will say, I believe that, because I know it to be true in that person's heart. They will never leave me. I will never leave them. To whom did God say such a thing? He said it about Job. If he said it about Job, how much more you and me, who's under the ultimate covenant through the blood of the Son of God himself, brought into the family of God, it's possible for any one of us to say, I will never, ever turn my back on the Lord. You know why? And that too, to say it truly with the endorsement from God, certification from God. How? It's not to do away with the potential that we have to fall away anytime. But the condition that can fulfill the potential is my defection or turning away from God and begin to sow, as we heard recently, sow into carnality. Sin. Continue to do sin, plant sin. Then the potentiality will become a reality. But these things are not contradictory. Because even though I know as long as I am on this side of heaven, this side of eternity, in my physical body, the potential does exist. And that's why these things apply to me and to you. These words apply to the best and most devoted, faithful believer in the Lord Jesus Christ on the planet, as well as to every Christian. What words? You need to be careful. Does that mean that I will fall? No. It means that if I'm not careful, I will fall. And if I fall and keep falling, 
It was the definition of that fall and falling equated with backsliding. There will become a fall, which will be permanent, which is apostasy, from which there will be no recovery. A very, very horrible, the most horrible thing. As is written in the book of Peter, it's better for that person who ends up back in the vomit and perishes like that to have never known the right way. Why even bother to come to Christ and taste of his goodness? If you're going to go back to the vomit, very sobering words from the Lord. And yet, I can say and you can say, I've come through experiences in walking with God and receiving His wonderful Word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've begin, begun to understand how serious it is to fear the Lord, not to give in to any sin, no matter how, quote-unquote, trivial the world, the devil, and even some Christians may make it out to be, even a lot of Christians these days. So what is wrong with a little drink? So what if you smoke occasionally? So what if you fornicate a little bit? So what if you commit adultery once a year? So what if you cheat on your income tax once a year? What will happen is death. The death will begin and it will end up in the second death. With this reality and clear teaching in the book of Hebrews, with all the descriptions of the superiority of our Prince of Peace, the living God, Jesus Christ, to show how he is better than the angels, better than the priesthood, better than the tabernacle, better in every way than every prophet, and bringing in a better covenant with his own blood. Hallelujah. The ultimate. I can have this full assurance. To what point? Next Monday? Next month? Until I sin? Or the next hour? Full assurance to the end. To the goal. Right to the goal. All the way. How? I've got to hear this word. Diligence, diligence, diligence. Pay careful attention, the writer says. Take heed to yourself. Don't let it slip. All these things are possibilities. And if I am not careful in concentrating and saying it's got to stick to my spiritual bones. All oh, the message I heard the other day. The fear of God just shook me. As we heard Brother pray yesterday, will I lose it by next week? Oh, my Lord. How frail we can be, but also how foolish we can be. If we let these things slip, and that's also implied here. Given all that God has done, and is doing and will do for his beloved children. Can I afford to take my eyes off the Lord even for one second? 
Can I afford to go anywhere or do anything where Jesus would not be welcome? Where I'd be embarrassed before the Lord? Or can I have a full assurance to the end that everything I do, God is welcome there because it's done with a pure motive, with the clean hands and a pure heart. Hallelujah. So this is what we're encouraged with in the book of Hebrews. As we're up to chapter 7. And this is what we're called to encourage one another about. It's part of God's plan. What would happen as we talk about the ember? It can die out, that little flame, if it's removed from the group. What kind of group? Now, if you have a group that is lukewarm, cold, no fire whatsoever, you can gather a lot of logs together. It won't do anything for any log. But even if one log out of a multitude of logs has some fire, it could catch on to the rest of the logs. And if multiple logs have fire, it can catch on quicker and in a bigger way. Spiritually, it's the same thing. We need the vertical fellowship with the Lord. Keep ourselves right in the sight of God. Pursue righteousness, not hypocrisy. And then with that presence of God in my life, when I connect with another believer who has the very same presence of God, showing the same diligence to stay clear from sin and please the Lord, Love him, serve him, honor him, seek the expansion of his kingdom. No longer about me and my castle, my family, but the expanded family of God and the expansion of the kingdom of God, bringing in new family members. How? By me opening my mouth, telling them about the living God, the only God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And a life that shows that what I'm speaking is the truth because it has transformed me. No longer bitter and backbiting and talking about that worker and this boss and a lot of Christians engaged in carnal activities, frowning. How quick we are to frown sometimes. Some more than others. Is it? becoming of a Christian to keep frowning to roll one's eyes and to wink and these are symptoms symptomatic of a disease of insecurity lack of faith even maliciousness vengefulness may the spirit of God change us more and more as we yield ourselves to him. But we close with this wonderful word. I can have full assurance to the end. I can honestly say today, it's available for me and for you. I will never leave the Lord, just like he will never leave me. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. The love of 
Christ constrained Paul. I would gather that if you would ask the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and even the apostles that were before Paul, taking one good look at this newcomer, newbie, Saul of Tarsus, terror to the Christian church, transformed, really? Let's have a look. The man says, I'm not only ready to be bound at Jerusalem for the Lord Jesus Christ. They can bind me. They can beat me. I'm ready to die for him. Unlike Peter, this man meant it. And, not to say Peter didn't mean it, and had the substance or could substantiate it. Because in his heart of hearts, he was ready. Nothing could deter Paul. So is it wrong for someone to say, maybe the Apostle Peter or the Apostle James, this man Saul of Tarsus, now they call him Paul. Peter, James, John. This man is going to make it. He's not going anywhere. He's going to stick to the race. His zeal maybe puts some of us to shame. Peter had to admit that perhaps later on. And Paul withstood him to the face because he gave him to uh, some fear and partiality. Paul stood up for righteousness. Is it wrong for someone to say that? Or should we jump on the bandwagon with so many quote-unquote evangelicals and pastors and preachers and so-called prophets? Oh, you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. Any one of us could fall. Granted, could fall. There's a possibility. There's a potential. By the same token, God expects us to say, I will not turn on my father. I love him. I'll be faithful to him. Can you imagine a son saying to the father who reared him, or to the mother who bore him, nursed him, I love you, but don't bank on it, because by next Friday I could turn on you. And I just may. I'm sorry, Dad, Mom. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to do it. Or husband or wife, even more. Traumatizing. I love you today. I may not love you tomorrow. But you understand I'm human. And, uh, well, the potential is there. So, we come to a clear understanding the potential is there because of the flesh. But if the flesh is crucified, that potential energy is greatly minimized and even caused to recede into the background, so much so, they can hardly be traced. So the person may appear like there's no potential at all for them to sin. It will be there. 
but that's how strong the testimony we can have because of the strength of our love for the God who loved us first when we were ungodly and sinful. That I can say today, you can say, if we are true, we fear the Lord, we love His commandments, we're doing His commandments, keeping them. I love God, I'll never leave Him. Oh, God expects that. Wouldn't you expect that? Is it wrong for a spouse to expect that from his or her mate? How much more than with the living God who not only took the penalty of sin away, but the power of it. He broke it. Shackles were broken. I'd have to go and find the pieces of the shackle, get that crazy glue, be crazy enough to do that, and put it back on myself and say, God, you knew I, I was going to fall. And here I am with the pieces. I couldn't help myself. I went back to the gutter. Now, can you save me again? Will God continue to entertain such disgusting, arrogant behavior? Denying the power of the godliness, even though I profess that I'm a Christian. But for the person who knows his or her God, knows how much he's done for them, knows the power that he has given them, a free heart to say, I love you. Abba, Father, I'm not going anywhere. I will follow you. If need, me, need be, I'll die for you. There have been many people who have said that. On this side of eternity, God took it. Not as an empty promise, because he knew they are going to go backslide. No, these people, God knew. Like Abraham, no, they're going to go the whole distance. They trust me. And I trust them. Having the full assurance to the end. That's the gift of God for all those who would be what? Diligent. To listen to what he says to do. And to do it. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish. Forget what God said and forget to do it. But remember, bring it to my mind, meditate on it and then go do it. And that way, imitate those who through faith, the ones who have gone before you, the ones who are successful in the race, through faith and patience. Don't give up. Keep doing God's will. Keep doing God's will. Keep doing God's will. Inherit the promises. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. Thank you, Lord. Each one of us can say, if we are true to you and diligent, 
that in as much as you will never leave us, Lord, nor forsake us. We'll never leave you nor forsake you. Not because you need us as we need you, but because we belong to you, Lord. We love you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord. It's through your love that we can trust every promise. It's through your power and your love. The power of your love. That we know you'll hold us close. Never let us go. And we can abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And be safe. All the way to the end. With full assurance. Doing our Father's will. Thank you, Father. I pray that today we'll have a renewed Father. Confidence to press in and be obedient children with great joy and love. And make the right choices. Oh, Lord, help us to make the right choices today, Lord. To think before we speak. Think before we act. Think before we decide. And acknowledge you in all our ways for you can direct our paths. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.